As long as you keep coming back, we'll keep coming back. How's that? We bring back an old friend of mine. We did a few world tours together, about eight million of them. <laughs> On the guitar, George Lynch. Can I have that guitar for my birthday next year, please? Come on. My birthday's only eight months away. No, not yet. You know I can't play anymore. You know what? <laughs> Someday I'll play again. Welcome to another episode of the Slam Fest podcast, where we bring the premier rock concert pregaming experience from the parking lot to the podcasting airwaves. I'm Brad. So, this episode is going to revolve around the Dockin George Lynch show I saw on July 9th, 2022, at Civic Center Park in Woodhaven, Michigan. And this was part of something called the Uncle Sam Jam. So last week, I had one half of the Growing Up Rock podcast on to help me recap Hailstorm The Warning. So to help me recap this concert and discuss Dawkins and George Lynch, please welcome the other half, or maybe the better half of that podcast. Stephen Michael, welcome to the show. Oh, oh that's no doubt the better half, <laughs> at least the better taste of music, for sure. There you go. There you go. Now, for some reason, this is episode 110 of this podcast, and this is the first time I've had you on. So too long, way too long, but I had to find a perfect fit <laughs> to bring you on. I know you're a big docking fan, so this uh, this made sense. So, Stephen, we we met back in 2018, I think, at the Indie Kiss Expo, and you had a great setup there, and you had me on your uh, your podcast, and you threw a bunch of questions at me about my my history, my kind of my growing up yeah. rock story, which was great. And then we were in Vegas in 19 to see Kiss as part of that podcast, Rock City crew. And then I think 2021 at Rock and Pod was probably the other. I think those are the three times that we've met. Uh, yeah, we've we've paired up a few times. I mean, obviously, we've had you on our podcast several different times uh, at several different points. Probably yep. the best time was when you were on with just me and Kevin and Sonny wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. So that probably made it much better when we talked about a good band that Sonny hates. Further, exactly. Uh, further showing uh, <laughs> that I have better taste in music with Saxon, but you know, <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, definitely. Yeah, that was a great time. That was a great episode. Yeah, no, I kid. Uh, Sonny and I love each other. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what's interesting about this show? So Dokken, we're going to talk a lot about Dokken today. 
Yep. So you guys did an episode and I went back and found it. So 2018 episode 57, where you guys did, I think a top five. And I was an avid listener at that point and commenter. And so I went back and found your Facebook post and I found my, I found my top uh, Dokken songs. So oh, did you really? Which was funny. And of course, I, I think I broke the rules. So I, I, I think I, I somehow I, I divided it up by deep cuts and, and hits, but I thought that was, I thought that was funny to go back and see him. I and that's what, four years ago, just to see if my taste had changed at all. So my top five deep cuts were Unchained the Night, Heartless Heart, When Heaven Comes Down, Night by Night, and Standing on the Outside, which is a, a more recent song from an album with mm-hmm. John Levin on it. And then the top five hits in my dreams, it's not love, just got lucky burning like a flame and dream warriors. So I, anyway, I thought that was interesting to kind of go back and look at where I was <laughs> at in 2018. Yeah. Generally when we do those top 10 and we've streamlined it a lot over the years, because we're about to celebrate our fifth year and uh, we we usually go for the deeper tracks or the lesser known tracks because it's easy to go, Hey, a song like, uh, in my dreams or, uh, alone again are my favorites because everybody knows those songs. If you're at all a casual Dokken fan, but we just Dokken for me, I mean, Dokken's a very important band in my growing up rock years so I like to go deeper because I listen to Dokken more as an album band versus the individual songs. So speaking of that a little bit, let's dive into some of Steven's concert history, since that's really what this podcast revolves around is, is concerts. So some, some of your listeners may, may know the answer to some of these, uh, Steven, but what was your first concert? Yeah, if you're a long-time listener of the Grown Up Rock podcast, we talk about stuff like that a lot. So my first concert was Van Halen uh, Diver Down Tour, the Hide Your Sheep Tour in yep. 1982. <laughs> that was my very first concert. Uh, literally standing room only, general admission tickets, and I was probably, if I had to guess based on some of the picture the lousy pictures that i took at the concert i would guess that i was probably third or fourth row standing right off in front of eddie van halen yeah nice life-changing event (laughs) that was a that was mobile alabama oh wow nice nice all right so let's fast forward and what was your most recent concert so my and i don't know if this counts uh but my most recent concert was a Friday night. I went and saw a Journey tribute band called Departure. And they're, they're local to hear their local band, but they also do some uh, shows, you know, outside of the state. They play a lot of various shows. But honestly, they're probably one of the best uh, tribute bands I've ever seen. They play the music uh, perfectly. And the guy that's doing the Steve Perry thing, uh, I, I've seen him when he was not exactly on, but Friday night he was on, he sounded great. Uh, so yeah, that was my last concert. And if that doesn't count, we're only talking about national acts and actually creatures fest. Uh, okay. so, so the Bruce Kulik band would have been the last thing I saw yeah. at creatures yeah. fest. 
Yeah, no, tribute bands absolutely count. And and the reason I say that is that's the direction we're heading, <laughs> right? As these legacy acts will, will start to fall off and not be able to do what they've been doing forever. I think, I think the tribute stuff's really going to, I think it'll ramp up, you know, for people, people our age. Well, it was an interesting thing. I thought about this a lot while I was watching Departure because, you know, a lot of people are quick to throw out their well, so-and-so is a tribute band today. Kiss is a tribute band today or Foreigner right. is a tribute band today because they have one or none original members, etc. But as I thought about this more, I was like, you know, really over the past, it's, it's only been over the past 10 years that you've really seen the actual uh, quote-unquote tribute bands pop up. Now, literally in every town uh, on a Friday, Saturday night at some club in your town that used to host either cover bands or um, or original bands now host basically tribute bands to whatever band uh, you you can think of. And, and I mean, there's tribute bands out there to everything, even like pop stuff. And oh, it's yeah. not just it's not just the huge names. Like I've seen Lady Gaga tribute bands. I've seen Pink tribute bands. I've seen um, Blondie tribute bands. I've seen all kinds of things out there, Kid Rock, etc. And and so it's not just uh, oh, it's only uh, you know Queen and Led Zeppelin because in the in the early days it was it was almost only like Led Zeppelin. There were a ton of Led Zeppelin tribute bands and um, uh, yes, maybe obviously Pink, Pink Kiss, Pink Floyd. There were some Pink Floyd tribute bands early on. Yep. Now it's literally all hell's broken loose. Yeah, no, I enjoy I enjoy going to. Uh, to some of those shows and and you're right i mean it's either to a band or it's to an era right i mean you've got hairball and you've got you know some of those arena rock show you know you got some of those other ones that are doing obviously multiple bands you know from a particular era which is which is very cool as well and, um, and for me for me i don't hate on it because it's it's uh it's easy for um it's an easy ticket it's quick it's fairly cheap like the tribute thing was at a um uh town uh, like um, summer concert series where they have these free concerts in the uh, in the summertime at their pavilions, and so it's usually like a free concert. You bring picnic chairs, bring a picnic, and check it out. And as long as the, I have one rule and one rule only, and that's that the music is done well. And as long as it's done well and the people perform it well and they sound good, I'm all in. And a lot of times they do. They not only sound great, but they sound better than what the original is touring at today. I mean, yes. honestly. Yes, yes, agreed, agreed. How about, so I, I've got this question, kind of, you know, different statements in here, but most memorable concert, what I was going for is seeing any milestone shows, you know, last show, reunion shows, shows overseas, you know, that type of thing. Anything pop out to you over yeah. your history? I mean, nothing in particular. Uh, if I've seen one of these milestone shows, as you put it, uh, I don't, it's not ringing a bell or it's not hit me, I'm sure, over the years because I've seen and attended so many shows that I probably have, but I, it, nothing popped out at me. And as far as overseas shows, 
the one thing that I keep going back to as far as overseas shows is that uh, I have a history as a tour manager, you know, part of that history. Back in the early 90s, we uh, spent a couple of months at a time doing European festivals. So everybody plays the festivals, right? Uh, so I can remember, you know, playing some of these festivals to 100, 200,000 people. And I know one show we played in Switzerland where there were two side-by-stage, side-by-side stages. We, the band I was tour managing at the time, played one show. And right after we got done, the band that was on the side stage next to us was um, Pride and Glory with Zach Wilde. So they started up and played, and that was fun. And I know that uh, we played... Uh, this one festival uh, in Germany and when we were done playing the next act up was uh, Dwight Yoakam. So kind of kind of cool things, you know, like that. Uh, had great time uh, experiencing that whole thing. So very fun. Nice. Nice. How about, uh, so I threw this in here. I think this is the first time I've asked this of anybody, but loudest concert you've ever attended I keep coming back to uh, David Lee Roth on the uh, on his first tour uh, with it was uh, Cinderella opening up, and that had to be one of the loudest shows I'd ever attended. Uh, another one might be Motorhead in this smaller club here in town it was pretty damn loud. Uh, I recall both of those where my ears were ringing for literally uh, more than a day. Uh, yeah, which is is not good now that no. now that we're adults. So I don't <laughs> I really go to concerts anymore without wearing earplugs. Absolutely, I'm right there with you. Right there with you. And then last question: so biggest regret, band artist you've never seen that you wish you had? I actually went through my list on this question, and uh, here's what I came up with on the top of my head. And I I, I assume that you're when you say biggest regret, I'm assuming that you're talking about bands that really aren't touring anymore or are no longer around. I'm going to give you a couple of those, but I'm also going to give you some that, that are still around. And the okay. first one and the most regrettable show that I haven't seen yet is Metallica. I've yeah, never I've... seen Metallica live. So that's one. Uh, Ozzy with Randy Rhodes, I regret. Soundgarden with Chris Cornell, I regret. Damn Yankees, I regret never having seen that. Uh, the Eagles with Don Felder and Brian Fry, I regret seeing that. Unfortunately, the Foo Fighters with Taylor Hawkins, I now uh, regret. Uh, Journey with Steve Perry, uh, the original Queen, and then I still have yet to see the Stones or McCartney. And I want okay. to see those. And and yeah. the timetable on the Stones and McCartney is really, really getting short, right? <laughs> right. Right. Very, very short. Yeah, I knew about the Metallica one. I think you may have just talked about that on a on a recent uh, episode. But I, I remember you saying that they have uh, eluded you uh, yep. over the years. <laughs> With, yeah. yeah, those are some that I regret, right? And yeah. The Stones, the Stones is basically down to to Keith and, and Mick, and you still got Ronnie Woods, but that's all there yeah. is to that one. And McCartney just celebrated his 80th birthday. So right. honestly, how much longer, really? Exactly. Okay. So thanks, Stephen. I, I learned some things. There, there, there was, those regret answers were, some of those were great. I, uh, uh, I agree. Uh, there's some of those in there that I haven't seen, and I would put those on my list as well. So, so now let's move on to the backgrounds with the bands on this bill. So history with Dokken, 
history with lynch mob so doc and when did they come onto your radar steven uh pretty early on with that first album uh honestly uh the first album actually had been out a little while so uh if memory serves me correctly i got into docking with um breaking the chains first and it was almost at the same time that into the fire came out uh from tooth and nail and so i remember the into the fire video uh, so probably I started with Tooth and Nail as an album first, and then went back and got the first Docking with Breaking the Chains. Yeah, I think that's I think that's how it happened with my history, uh, and then uh, moving forward after uh, um, Tooth and Nail, I just you know stayed with it. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When did you see them first? The first time, yeah, the first time I got to see Dokken was opening up for Dio on the last in line tour. Oh, wow. Yeah, nice. That would have been, that would have been my first shot at Dokken. So that's, that's supporting tooth and nail, I assume. Um, right. Or it would have been close, I guess, to. Yeah, no, that would have been, it would have been tooth and nail because yeah. they weren't, glam, they weren't glam quite glammed out and uh, dressed yet. Uh, so yeah. yes, it would have been the two thing. <laughs> okay. alone, again, alone again had already hit. So yes. it was it was later in that tour, but alone again was already a hit at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I re- so I remember the alone again video being played quite a bit. And I, my brother had tooth and nail and I think he dubbed it for me on a blank, uh, a blank tape. And, and I remember I know I just talked about my my top fives or top ten, whatever that I responded to your guys's post on, and I heartless heart for so, that song for some reason <laughs> resonated with me, you know, as a as a twelve year old um, at that time. So that that song kind of uh, sticks out to me. And then obviously, I mean, moving through obviously under lock and key, th- those videos and Dream Warriors and. Mm-hmm. I, I do. I remember loving Beast from the East. I remember getting that live album, you know, treating that almost as a, a greatest hits album, even though it was a live album and, and just loving, loving that album, but mm-hmm. did not get to see them. Steven, I didn't see them until the mid 2000s. So what version was your first version that you saw? So that was, uh, so obviously Don and John Levin was on guitar at that point. Uh, Spark, Barry Sparks, I think is his name, um, was on bass. And then Mick Brown was the drummer. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, that's... so and it, it's interesting because my brother saw him open for Aerosmith on uh, well, permanent vacation tour. And then, you know, after back for the attack you know i mean they they broke up obviously for for a while and that you know my first concert in general was in 1987 so you know it was going to be a tough uh a tough thing probably for me to try to see them uh, you know until much later just because i know they broke up got back together but you know they they obviously weren't uh the 90s were were a little different for for trying to see some of these bands live isn't that what's great about YouTube today? I mean, <laughs> honestly, it gives people the opportunity to really go back, and uh, it's good. And it's a good and it's a bad thing. So uh, you go back and you see things that in your head were the most amazing thing, 
And then you go back and see some things and be like, yeah, that's not that amazing or it's not what I remember it. And then other things where you go and you see something more recently and you're like, that was really good. And then you go back and see like the original version and you're like, oh my God, like they were so much better than I, yes. I, I did this uh, recently. I'll tell you what sticks out in my head, not to go too far off subject, but I went and the other day I saw somebody had released a um, Tesla on their like second, first or second tour at some county fair or something. And they came out and they were freaking on fire. I mean, they were active. They were all over the place. They were killer. And I, I was just like, I had just recently seen Tesla, like not long ago and they sounded fine, but because I guess they're just so much older now, it was just literally lackluster, like no energy. And you, and you go back and you watch the video when they were young, right. And they're young and hungry and, uh, just all over the place. And they just, they killed it. I mean, they ripped the stage apart and opened up with coming at you live and it just, you know, it's just so much different. And so for the younger generation, I'm really happy for them that they get to see this stuff. And I saw it, you know, I mean, I saw it firsthand. I saw them, I saw Tesla in a small club on their first tour before they had even done like their first major tour. Uh, This is before like the Def Leppard and all that other stuff. Yeah. And so I, I saw it, but it just doesn't stick in your head like that. Yeah. Yeah. So how about uh, George Lynch or Lynch mob type stuff? Yeah. I mean, I, I was such a huge docking fan when they split, I was heartbroken when they broke up. And I remember hearing like on rock line uh, when I was listening to it, that they had broken up as a band and uh, you know, it wasn't, it was like right around the same time that, um, uh, the um, Back for the Attack record came out. And I was like, oh my, what, why? Uh, so when when Lynch Mob came out and uh, formed his own band and uh, released that record, I was all over it. I'm, I mean, I want to hear it. And plus I had probably already heard like Wicked Sensation on the radio because I think that was the first single. And I was like, oh, this is killer. Yeah. This is just as good as Dawkins, so I'm all over it. Uh, so that's when I, I heard it. And I don't know if I saw that first tour or not, to be honest. I, I want to say I did not, but maybe I did. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I remember hearing that stuff. And, but I didn't, I don't think I, I don't think I ran out and bought it until later for, for whatever reason. I, I don't know why, but I, I think I ended up uh, getting into it. And, and I mean, I bought all of their releases, you know, after the, after the second album, probably as it came out, but you know, I ended up going back and getting those and then didn't see them. I saw them in 08 at Rocklahoma. So it was Oni and uh, Marco Mendoza. And actually I think it was Fred Curry on drums. At really? That show. That's yeah. interesting. I did some, I did a little bit of, I went back and looked, try to find the members at that time. Cause he's, it's a revolving door. Oh, completely. It's more so, it's more so a revolving door than it ever was in the early days, but really now it's a revolving door. And honestly, I remember the one thing I do remember about the Lynch Mob record coming out, and I don't know what the timing of it all was, but I remember Don Dockin released the solo record. So his first solo record versus um, 
Lynch Mob, and to me, it's not even close. Like that Lynch Mob record is so much better than that Don Dockin record to me. And in fact, I didn't even really like that Don Dockin record. I know a lot of people love that record, but I did not like that record when it came out. Now, I, I've gone back and listened to it more recently, and it's not as bad as I initially thought, but I still think that it doesn't even come close to the, the Wicked Sensation record. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there's a couple of good songs on that Don Dockin record, but mm-hmm. it doesn't touch the first uh, <laughs> the first Lynch Mob album uh, at all. So this was a doubleheader weekend for me. So I saw Hailstorm, The Warning on, on uh, Friday night, uh, July 8th. And we were supposed to see Pretty Reckless on that uh, on that show too. And they were out for COVID, which was too bad. And then the next... Uh, night was this uncle sam jam in suburban detroit and this is something that's been around for probably 15 years and it's taken uh taken COVID off the last couple of years but it, it was back so it's in a, a southern uh, suburb called woodhaven and it's basically a big carnival you know type thing that goes on for uh, a long weekend and they've got concerts at night so they just set up a stage and you know the whole thing is free but you can of course buy vip tickets and get in the front section and have your own bathrooms and you know have your own bar and all that mm-hmm. type of stuff yeah. so that's what my brother and i did and the problem is they oversold <laughs> they oversold that VIP thing, which defeats the purpose of it being VIP. So it was a shit show, Stephen. They, they didn't have enough chairs. So they put chairs down, you know, which is, which is fine, but not when you oversell it, because now you've got people standing in the aisles, you've got people standing in the front front in front of the chairs, and you've got long lines at the four or five porta potties that they had that was dedicated to this section and the bar was line was really you know so it was kind of a shit show but on one hand i was pissed but on the other hand i'm like this is a great crowd <laughs> people came out and wanted to see george lynch join uh, join Dawkins uh mm-hmm. on on stage so we actually got so george lynch and the electric freedom which is what he's renamed, quote unquote, Lynch Mob, mm-hmm. uh, due to the connotations, obviously, for that name. That set list was Flesh and Blood, River of Love, She's Evil But She's Mine, Sweet Sister Mercy, Believers of the Day, Testify, Mr. Scary, and then Closed with Wicked Sensation. So from a Lynch Mob standpoint you know four songs from the debut wicked sensation and then one song from sun red sun ep and one song from rebel which were kind of interesting choices uh to do and then he played obviously one docking song the mr scary instrumental and then one solo song that he kicked off the show with from an album called sacred groove so steven do you know who he's playing with these days um well other than the fact that you got it listed right there, that's oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, that's that's who's in the band now, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. they made a big deal about him uh, uh, getting Ray West solidified as his uh, singer, uh, yep. Ray West from Spread Eagle, and then uh, that connection probably came in from Rob DeLuca because Rob DeLuca has been playing with him for a while, and then 
Jimmy Dan that did the best thing you probably ever could have done, which was left the <laughs> Bullet Boys, Mark right. Torin, and uh, you know went back to doing Lynch Mob, which he's he's been in and out of it. And sorry, George, you'll always be Lynch Mob to me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. So yeah, I was of those three guys. I, I'm not that familiar with Spread Eagle. I, I think I need to go check out some of that stuff. Isn't it a a, a New York area? band it it is a new york uh, area band they had a um uh back when they released their first album which was back i think in the late 80s or something but they had a a semi uh hard rock hit called uh switchblade switchblade sister or switchblade symphony something around yeah like okay. that uh and i like that song a lot but the rest of their music is sort of hit and miss with me they just they recently reformed not that long ago and put out a new album uh literally like within the last three years i think uh pre-covid but uh, okay. it's all right it's not bad you know yeah. straight ahead hard rock metal sort of borderline metal yep yep so yeah i'd seen rob deluca just this past fall uh playing with sebastian bach they were doing slave to the grind and and uh in its entirety and obviously some of the other hits from that first album so he's he's solid and then yeah like you said jimmy deanda i i saw bullet boys the original lineup last summer out in colorado at that freedom fest thing that steven i think you you went to that one year and uh hooked up with lc i believe right at yeah that, we had uh, great stories yeah on that one yeah. <laughs> yeah so i mean solid solid band So a quick couple of updates on the George Lynch and the Electric Freedom lineup. So Rob DeLuca is in the band, but is doing some work with UFO, I believe, overseas. So he was replaced by Jaron Galino from Tantric on bass. And then I mentioned on the episode that Ray West was on lead vocals and this was his second show and apparently it was also his last show so on july 16th which was the day that Stephen michael and i were recording this episode it was reported that george lynch had already parted ways with ray west saying that west was not ready to take on the gig apparently lynch called west and said, bro, I know you gave it a really great shot, but obviously you weren't really ready to do this. Ray recalled, and maybe he was right, because for me, honestly, I'm only ready if I get to rehearse. That's the way I've always done it. But I will say, in the singer, Ray West, I thought he was visibly nervous. This was his second show. They had played a club up in Saginaw the night before. And I, I found him. He was fiddling with his little uh, ear monitor thing in his back pocket. And he, he just, he looked a little unsure or, un, I, I don't know. Maybe, again, second show, right? I think he was, I think he had a, uh, a monitor in front of him with, the, uh, with maybe some of the words. Uh, I, I don't know when he joined that type of thing but that was just something that stood stood out to me a little bit again he sounded his voice sounded good but he just kind of visibly looked 
looked a little uncomfortable. And again, it'll it'll take some time maybe to to get into the groove with Lynch and and that stuff. So, but overall, it was a good show. Yeah, I think Lynch Lynch doesn't uh, you know, Lynch doesn't have a love for singers, I don't think. <laughs> and so I think it's basically, I mean, he's had so many and he's had the thing about it is is he's had some really great singers, right? over the years, whether it's been Robert Mason or Oni Logan or uh, Andrew Friedman. I yeah. think Andrew Friedman prior was probably one of the best singers that he's ever had in terms of just great singing, him and Robert Mason. Uh, my friend Nathan Utz uh, uh, even spent yeah. a few uh, times in uh, Lynch Mob. And from the videos that I've seen, Nathan did a really great job for him while he was there. So definitely, uh, you know, you know. So yeah, long as long as they as long as they pay attention to the material and do it justice, I'm okay with that. When I saw him with Oni Logan, uh, the thing that miss pissed me off about Oni is that Oni had no um, no respect for the docking material. He, yes, he would he would forget words. He didn't care about it. You could tell he was just going through the motions, and that for me really pissed me off. Yeah, uh, and that, and I think that's the problem with Oni is that Oni is his own person. He's just really super unreliable. Agreed, agreed. Let's move on to Dawkins' show. So Dawkins' set list. Don't close your eyes. fire breaking the chains dream warriors just got lucky alone again too high to fly it's not love and then close the regular set with in my dreams Yeah. 
stage and joined for kiss of death when heaven comes down and then they closed the show with tooth and nail so breakdown here one song from breaking the chains six songs from tooth and nail three songs from under lock and key two from back for the attack one from dysfunctional and then zero from shadow life through broken bones so his band so obviously john levin on guitar chris mccarville on bass and bj zampa on drums so mccarville and zampa kind of from house of lords recently and john levin's been with him for for a while but i'll tell you what steven again i i've seen john levin with him you know five times maybe or something to that effect and he had that real straight hair he had curly 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 hair he looked like <laughs> he looked like weird al yankovic ham on ham on ham on whole wheat all right <laughs> i don't ever remember uh levin with with uh, curly hair no this was so tony masalem just saw just saw this out in california as well and i i knew i knew that after talking to him at creatures fest and so he he texted me after he saw him about a week before uh we did and so i i sent him a picture of weird al and i said when did he learn how to play guitar this well and his comment was yeah that's not a good look for him <laughs> that's not a good look at all so the bass player and Levin now both have real pearly permed type looking hair. So <laughs> so you're saying this is recent? This is recent. Oh, apparently. wow. Why Which would you it, ever do that recently? I don't know, Stephen. It's not it parted right down the middle. It was. A Are you sure odd. it was Levin? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it Dang. Was. It was because okay. yeah, 
Tony was Tony couldn't believe it either. So it was it was it was funny. So wow. But anyway, back to the uh, back to the set list. So what do you think of that set? Uh, just the docking set alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're asking me about? Yes. Yeah. So I mean, look, they've got so many songs that I like. It's hard for me to even uh, pick. Uh, but I, I think as far as the songs that uh, I like, a lot of these are, are great. Uh, I love that they added Too High to Fly from uh, Dysfunctional. That's great. Uh, I think it's a, you know, given the num- number of songs that they have to do, I think that it's a great set on Dawkins' uh, side, on Don Dawkins' side. The Lynch set list is uh a little interesting and maybe not the set that I would put together for a lynch mob uh, show, but uh, it is what it is. Yeah. So I thought don't close your eyes was an interesting opener. I think it's a great opener. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, most of the times I've seen them, you know, again, recently over the last 15 years, you know, unchain the night has started, which is, which is great as well. But this was, that was cool. And like you mentioned too high to fly in there. Very, very cool to see. The rest of that stuff's pretty standard uh, mm-hmm. for them. They didn't, uh, they didn't uh, veer off too much. You know, when when Lynch came on, I mean, they're going to do Kiss of Death and Tooth and Nail. So what's the third song they're going to do when heaven comes down? I thought was interesting because it's a, you know, that's kind of a, a mid tempo, you know, type song versus those other ones that are, that are upbeat. So, well, yeah, it's perfectly placed, right? You got the two kick-ass songs and then heaven comes down, uh, still staying heavy, uh, but just changes the pace. And I, I, I personally like it. I love when heaven comes down. They've, they've always, Lynch has always done that in the Lynch mob set really for a long time. And so, uh, Dokken doing it, I think Dokken has kind of done that song as well. So I don't, uh, it's not, um, 
it is a deeper track, but it's not a track that has uh, been alluded on either Lynch Mob or Doc and Set List in more recent years, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. And it was interesting. Blabbermouth picked up video from the show following Monday, maybe, and had an article, you know, about it and, and that, you know, that he had joined them. I, again, I know he's just kind of popping up with them here and there. I'm not sure there's any rhyme or reason to it. I, I don't know if they did it much before COVID. I guess I can't, <laughs> I don't remember if uh-huh. he was jumping up there or not, but it's, it, uh, he's, he's showing up sometimes and not, uh, I think not other times during this, this run, uh, that yeah. Don's doing right now. But, uh, Don, uh, Don didn't sound good, which isn't news really, mm-hmm. but I hadn't seen him or I hadn't seen Dawkins since 2016. So six years and it's not getting any better, obviously. And he didn't, he didn't look particularly good either. I know he had a botched surgery. You know, there's info, there's some interviews out there uh, on everything with that. So not very mobile and why they didn't have McCarvel's got a great voice. He obviously he did a lot of backing vocals, but you know, maybe have him shadowing him a little bit or something, you know, putting some harmonies with some of that stuff or something, (laughs) something might've helped because it was, it was tough and his band is solid. You know, they're, they're playing the music very, very well, but that was, that was rough. And I, I don't know when the last time you saw him was Steven, but Yeah, so I'm going to be honest. I know that this has been the talk for probably the last few years, right, is that Don doesn't sound good. But I'm going to be honest in saying that the last time I saw Don Dockin docking with Don was back probably, if I had to guesstimate, somewhere around 2009, 2010. And that was the last time on purpose because at that show, he didn't sound good. He sang everything in lower register monotone, and it was the most boring show ever. And he didn't move around. And Don has never moved around a great deal. I mean, you can go back to those early early years, and what really anchored Dokken as a live band was Jeff Pilson. Pilson was all over the place. My one recollection from the first time I saw Dokken with uh, opening for Dio was that Jeff Pilson was a wild man. He was all over the place. His hair was teased out. He was badass. And that's what anchored that show uh, for me and made it exciting. But I, I swore uh, that I would never pay to see him again just because it was awful. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, again, the uh, him coming on stage, George coming on stage, I will say that was very cool. Steven, it was cool to see those two mm-hmm. on stage based on their history and <laughs> them clashing and all of that stuff. But it was a little awkward. Lynch comes walking out. Don says something, and you can see this on the video on, on Blabbermouth, says something about wanting his guitar after the show. And George starts to take his guitar off and like give it to him. And Don sit, makes a comment like, I can't even play anymore, which you know, probably is, has to do with that, that surgery, which, oh, that, that was, so he can't play guitar anymore and he can't sing anymore. It's, it's a sad, it's a sad situation. But again, those three songs, 
were awesome. And a note on tooth and nail. So Lynch's guitar strap broke right before the solo. So he's walking kind of to the middle of the stage for the spotlight of the tooth and nail solo <laughs> and his guitar strap breaks. And you've got people in the crowd motioning to the guitar techs, you know, like trying to help out. Nobody saw it. So he puts his leg up on the monitor and puts the guitar up on his thigh and just like a pro just rips through that solo. very cool to see and again that you know you've got some people that would be throwing a fit on (laughs) on stage and all of that and he did not miss a beat and just and played that that unbelievable solo Mm -hmm. with a with a broken guitar strap which was which was cool to see so anyway total pro total pro but again they didn't really acknowledge each other you know I, i mean they were up there and they were playing those three songs, but they really didn't acknowledge. And when it ended, Lynch gave his guitar to his guitar tech and walked off stage. So, you know, it wasn't a love fest by any means. But uh, again, it was cool to see them on stage. Again, I had never seen the two of them on stage together. So that was cool for me. Cool moment. So let's move on to the band on the bill spotlight. So again, first time covering Dokken on the episode. So I thought, hey, let's go back to the 80s material obviously their heyday and just give our our maybe backgrounds with these albums highlights lowlights and then rank them four to one and let's start with breaking the chains released september 18th 1983 in the u.s and i noted 1981 in europe apparently that that album came out and produced by michael wegner and dokken so you talked a little bit, uh, Stephen, about you know getting this getting this album early on, and and what uh, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, look, it's a first album, and it was from a band I wasn't familiar with, and I, I should let the listeners know. I mean, basically, Docking for me is a top ten band uh, overall. So, I mean, my fondness for Docking is extremely high. Uh, they were important to me during that bang zone of growing up rock years that I talk a lot about. Uh, I, 
One of the first things I remember about this uh, first uh, album and the video was, is that the guy from Kaja Gugu playing guitar? What the fuck? What the hell? Because if you go back and look at uh, go back and look at George Lentz, uh during that time, I mean, uh, he looked like a good he looked like Lamal, right? That's the guy's name from <laughs> Kaja Gugu. Yeah, had the blonde thing on top and the mullet and the kind of. <sighs> So I was like, but I was like, damn, that Lamal can play guitar. <laughs> so that was the one thing I remember about the video. Um, you know, going back and listening to this record, it doesn't hold that hold up that great now nowadays. Uh, the recording process is very demo-ish. Uh, it's just a lot of reverb and just it doesn't sound great today, especially stacked up against some of the more recent records. Uh, it just doesn't hold up for me. Songs like um, "Young Girls" and "Paris Is Burning" are per- pretty much uh, my high, you know, my high points of that record. Uh, "Breaking the Chains," of course. My low points probably, if I had to put something on there, maybe something like "I Can't See You" is one of my lower points. Yeah, I mean, you're 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 right. Obviously, on the, it's their first album. You know, even though they had Michael Wagner on on production uh duties you know it's like some of the songs sound better than than others on it you know it's some of them are produced it seems better but obviously the title cut is is awesome and you already noted the video one of the cheesier (laughs) videos with the break of the chains off of the the walls as they're as they're chained up but um in the middle i always i always liked um as well paris is burning and of course it's like a live version is there a studio version of that song i don't think so i don't think so yeah yeah which is that's a great great song and then you mentioned young girls but interesting felony and young girls are both about the same thing (laughs) and and they were uh i mean some of those lyrics steven wow (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they and they both are oddly enough a felony. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I you know I don't think I knew originally hearing felony as a kid. Obviously, I didn't know what it was about. But you know, listening to that I'm, stuff now, whoa. I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna be honest. I went back to listen to this record yesterday just because I want to refamiliarize myself with some of it, and I was like. Is the police gonna bust in my room? Me listening to a couple of these songs. Am I gonna get busted for porn on my dang child pornography on my dang PC? I was like, uh, oh my God. this is yeah. uncomfortable to listen it, to. It was. I mean, I did not know she was just a child. It's like, oh God, <laughs> super super uncomfortable to listen to yesterday. Definitely. I was like, uh, <laughs> definitely. But you know, again, it, it's not not uh, surprised that they only played one song off of this album and they don't ever touch <laughs> anything else you know in the recent years uh from here but you know it's it, i hear some aldenova in some of these songs uh like even i can't see you i i hear i hear some of that moving along to tooth and nail so released september 14th 1984 produced by tom Worman. so they brought him in and roy thomas baker so there's a there's definitely a difference in production <laughs> on this album. <laughs> so, Stephen, this is uh, this may be your bang zone uh, with Dokken, but what do you what do you think of the album? Are there any stinkers on here? 
yeah, I don't think there's any stinkers on there. Uh, just because for me personally, like I mentioned at the beginning, Tooth and Nail was probably actually the first album I owned because I heard Breaking the Chain, saw the video, but then it was almost at the same time I remember uh, Into the Fire also coming out. So I want to say that I picked up the Tooth and Nail record as my first official docking record. And so for me, that that holds a special place in my heart. We've talked about it before. Usually when you get that, whatever you, wherever you come into a band, whatever that first album is that you get from that band, no matter how great or shitty it is in their catalog, you usually are uh, loyal to that record. And for me, Tooth and Nail is, uh, I love it. I love the record. My high points are... Uh, obviously, Tooth and Nail. Uh, Don't Close Your Eyes. I absolutely love that song. I always have. So Don't Close Your Eyes and then When Heaven Comes Down. Two of the songs that they played in their set list, right? So Tooth and Nail, Don't well, three of the songs. Tooth and Nail, Don't Close Your Eyes, When Heaven Comes Down. Those are my, my uh, three songs that I really love. I also love... Uh, Bullets to Spare, and or Bullets to Spare is actually my low point. If there is a low point, Bullets to Spare is probably my low point. Uh, Heartless Heart, which you love, I also love. Yeah, uh, nice. but Bullets to Spare, I still like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, this thing is uh, this thing is solid uh, from top to bottom. I guess the one thing, so that without warning instrumental, it, it's okay. A bit long, you know, a minute and a half long and and fades out completely and then that you know the riff or tooth and nail starts i almost you know do it like unchain the night kind of trim that thing down have it be a an intro and just have it be part of tooth and Nail. that's that's you and my partner sonny pooney you guys are impatient <laughs> with the intros i don't mind it i think it sets up a mood it's not <laughs> annoying to me i mean yes it's a minute or so of your life that you have to sit through. I get it, but God, settle down. You two have a drink, would you? Goodness gracious. And then the other thing is obviously tooth and nail just, just comes out of the gates and kicks you in the face. And there's heavy, other heavy songs on here. Don't close your eyes. When heaven comes down, you mentioned, but there are also just got lucky heartless heart, you know, a little more commercial sounding, even into the fire. Is a, is a little more commercial sounding than some of those other heavier songs. So I think the album, it's a little disjointed on what, you know, do they want to be a heavy metal band or they want to be a, you know, a hard rock band and they throw a ballad on here, which is, I think, a, a very underrated power ballad in my eyes. It's almost one of the first, you know, power well, ballads of the 80s. That's the thing, though. If you think about it, when this record came out, it kind of, it is describing uh, the environment at that time. There were there was still heavy bands, but heavier bands weren't necessarily the forefront. You you still had left over uh, the new wave of British heavy metal. Uh, you still had you you started to see bands like Dokken and Def Leppard and Van Halen, where there was this sense of melody but still heaviness. So I think that confused a lot of bands in their writing. Uh, so that's why I think I don't, I don't feel like it's disjointed, but I understand what you're saying in terms of, were they heavy? Were they melodic? 
I like uh, a song like uh, Into the Fire. I like the dynamics of the heavy and the lighter and the heavy, uh, which is one of the things that I really liked about the band Tesla when they first came out. A lot of that heavy, light, heavy mixed in, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you you mentioned Into the Fire. This is maybe the first example of again really good songwriting here because you you've got a pre-chorus where they mention into the fire you know and that then you got a separate chorus where you got the gang vocals coming in with into the fire and they do that later on in some of the out al- their albums which i think is very very cool where they're they're using the song title in the pre-chorus and it's a different vibe obviously before they get to the chorus i think i think that's just very well done my my low point is probably the last song on the album turn on the action I mean, it's okay, but it's it's probably my low point. I, I like the groove of uh, Turn On The Action. I like the, you know, that hop. It has a nice hop, a nice groove to it, and it, it kind of moves. So uh, I prefer that song to a song like Bullets To Spare just because uh, I like the lyrics a little bit less than Bullets To Spare, but uh, lyrics have never been a huge thing with me, so. <laughs> yeah, they're not, they're not huge with me either, but yeah. All in all, great, great album. Moving on to Under Lock and Key. So produced by Neil Kernan and Michael Wagner. So here we go. So this is just kind of their commercial um, breakthrough, even though Tooth and Nail sold a million copies as well. So what are your what are your thoughts on this one, Stephen? Well, so my initial thoughts going back to when this record first came out was that I really enjoyed it. I thought it sounded better. And that's one thing I'll mention is that to me, the production has gotten increasingly better with every release. And maybe that was due to technology. I can't really say, but it definitely has. If you listen to their records uh, from first to last, you can hear the actual um, advances in recording, right? You can hear them. They just sound better. So under lock and key, I remember saying, oh, this sounds really great. The background vocals, everything like that. My initial thought is, okay, there's some really good stuff on here, but it's no tooth and nail uh, because tooth and nail was much more with the exception of alone again, tooth and nail was much more balls out. Whereas under lock and key has a lot of different textures. It has some of the ballads. It has more than one ballad. Uh, power ballad, if you want to call it that. It has more than one power ballad. It has some slower moments, but then you have songs like Lightning Strikes Again and um, uh, Unchain the Night, things like that, that are really heavy. For me personally, going back to listen to Under Lock and Key more recently, this record's really good. It really held up over time. To me, uh, it's almost a desert island record. I mean, it, it could very well be a desert island record for me. The highlights for me personally are under lock and key, lightning strikes again, it's not love. The low points might be a song like Slipping Away. Uh, I just don't, you know, eh, I don't love ballads, but uh, in terms of uh, the two ballads that are on this record, Slipping Away is the l- lesser one for me personally. Yeah, yeah. So that again, this is when I I remember the Alone Again video, like I talked about. That was kind of my introduction, and then Heartless Heart. And but when this album came out, and I, I mean, it was right in, right in my bang zone of really getting into this this '80s stuff specifically. And so I, you couldn't escape 
those videos i mean in my dreams was on a lot it's not love but oddly enough i was not a huge fan of it's not love <laughs> immediately when it was released which is just crazy to me and i I, th I didn't love the gang it's not love portion of the chorus i love the why baby why part you know whatever you call that like a post chorus or or, or whatever how, but uh, how do you not like the gang vocals i don't know love steven as a kid i don't know i don't know why i i didn't it scare I didn't you love it <laughs> maybe scary better <laughs> i'm always a sucker for it. one of, <laughs> one of the first things why i love this song from the get-go one of the first things i'm always a sucker for that um that uh uh muted guitar sound kind of uh dual string picking the dun, 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 yeah dun, dun, that thing picking I'm, yes i'm always a sucker for songs like that acdc has quite a few that are like that uh uh um Dokken is another band that has some songs like that. A lot of bands have songs like that, and I always seem to like those songs for whatever reason. I can't yes. explain it. It's just something that I like. Yeah, yeah. Unchain the Night, fantastic. And again, this one works better because the 35-second intro is part of the song. <laughs> but love, love that. I think it's almost a perfect song. The Hunter, you know, that was one that took a little time. But again, you know, yeah. seeing that live, that it's a great live song. Um, again, In My Dreams, one of my, probably one of my favorite guitar solos in general. You know, definitely top 10 guitar solos uh, for me. Slipping Away, I agree with you. You know, it's, it's okay. It might have worked better to do kind of an acoustic piece, even though the electric, there's an electric solo, which is kick ass in it, but... I don't know. Maybe it would have worked better acoustically. I just enjoy a song like Jaded Heart so much more than Slipping Away. Agreed. If, if you're if you're playing apples with apples on that same record, uh, a song like Jaded Heart to me is just so much so much better. And and a song like a slower song like um, Will the Sun Ever Rise to me that's an underrated tune. Like Agreed. go back and listen to that song today. That's a really good tune. Yes, yes. And you, yeah, you mentioned Jaded Heart. The only thing I dislike about Jaded Heart is when they say Jaded Heart. <laughs> the harmonies in there. I, I, I'm like, just have Don singing it double track or something. It's, it's just something the rest of the song I love. I just don't like the harmonies on when they say Jaded Heart. Uh, but the rest, yeah, those last three songs, I mean, Till the Living End. I mean, that's a. I think, I think <laughs> that's a rock have I think you might have a little something in your ear that throws off some. I mean, <laughs> how do you not like the harmonies and jaded art? What's wrong with that? That sounds good to my ears. Come on, man. <laughs> oh, I'm nitpicking, Stephen. That's what I do. I know, I and I'm busting balls because that's what I do. You're welcome. <laughs> but I, I think in comparison, and again, we'll, we can rank these at the end, but in comparison to Tooth and Nail, I as good as that album is, I think this one maybe is just more cohesive to me. It's, it, you know, it's a it's a tough call and I, I maybe still don't know what I'm gonna do with my rankings until we get there. Let's move on to the, the fourth and final one. So Back for the Attack, released November 2nd, 1987, produced by Neil Kernan. So what are your thoughts on this thing? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, okay. Um, for me, for me personally, Bat for the Attack is a perfect record. 
Uh, it's one that's held up over time for me and gotten better with time. And uh, if you want me to give you the high, the high points of the record, then I say, okay, the record, <laughs> that's your high point. So everything, if you want me to give you the low points of the record, then there are none really for me personally. Uh, if I want to really seriously nitpick, because Brad, I know you like to nitpick. So if I, if I really want to nitpick, my only nitpick is that burning like a flame is, is super poppy and almost sounds slightly out of place on the record, but I love the two. So that's, that is literally nitpicking my only, uh, my only comment is that, yeah, that it sounds super, super out of place on the record as a whole, because it's super poppy. So as listeners of my podcast know, I, I don't like long albums and I know I put dream warriors on the end of this and it was obviously on the soundtrack and, you know, they, they put it on the end of, of this album as well. So 13 songs is a little bit too long. Again, I'm, I like 10, 10 songs is, is kind of perfect for me. So it's a little too long, but I mean, the highlights kiss of death night by night, heaven sent and again you guys had a discussion about whether that's a ballad or not <laughs> on one of your on one of your episodes but what, what was your decision it's not yeah no. I, I don't think it i don't think it is and and no way. maybe i mean 1987 you know might be what's what this album was lacking was a was a ballad you know that could have taken them even over the top you know instead of breaking them up but who who knows um, but I think at this point, if, if I had to speculate, my guess is, is that they said, we don't give a F. We don't care at this point. We owe them an album. We've got to put an album out where we've got it written. So do we really care whether there's a ballad on this record or not? And my guess is they all said, nope, just put yeah. it out. Yeah. Uh, and to me, that does not upset me in any way, shape or form, because as we all know, I don't like ballads. So there you go. <laughs> So, so many tears, I think is a cool song burning like a flame. You know, I had it in my top five hits list and, but it, it is, it doesn't fit this record, Steven. You're, you're absolutely right. It's so thin sounding. I mean, it almost reminds me of, and I don't know when the white lion album came out um, in comparison to this, but it almost kind of sounds like that. I mean, it's a cool song, but it and doesn't both fit. Were uh, you know, White Lion, Michael Wagner, right? Yes. Uh, so I, I just, I still love the song. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I still absolutely love the song, but listening to the album in full, you can hear where this one sounds slightly out of place from the rest of the material uh, in sound, in context, everything. Uh, but, you know, going through this album, Pick pick the least known song on this album, and it's still a great song. A song like "Prisoner" that nobody talks about. I love it. It's a freaking yeah. awesome tune. Uh, you know, so. Yep, yep. Now, what's interesting is uh, they've obviously played "Burning Like a Flame" probably on this tour, but it's interesting that they don't go back to it. I don't know when the last time it was on the dock and set list, and it just it gets ignored uh, for for whatever reason. The uh, the last four songs, Lost Behind the Wall, Stop Fighting Love, Cry for the Gypsies, Sleep for this Night. They're they're good. I, I just don't think they're great songs. Um, Dream Warriors, again, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the live version on Beast uh, from the East uh, more than the studio version. 
of that. There's some guitar fills in there in the live version, which is which is better. I skipped over Mr. Scary. I, I'm not a huge instrumental guy, but I love what they did instead of doing just a guitar solo. You know, they did a, a song and you've got Pilsen and, and Mick Brown, you know, showing off too. So it was like everybody uh, uh, taking their turn, which I thought was a cool way to, to showcase they're playing versus just having a, a Lynch guitar solo on there. So those are my uh, those are my thoughts on on that on that album. All right, I'm just gonna I'm gonna give you my my rankings real quick because it's yep. it's one two three and four. So okay. for me personally, breaking the chains at number four to no brainer. My number three and two could flip flop either way, depending on how I feel for that particular day. So under lock and key and tooth and nail almost are inter- interchangeable. The reason that tooth and nail ended up at number two and my favorite record bar none is Pat for the attack. I think it's a perfect record. It's a desert Island record. There are no ballads. I absolutely love it. And I love every song, even songs like sleepless night and cry the gypsy and songs that Brad felt like weren't that strong. For me, I love personal, my personal preference, right? Uh, but Tooth and Nail and Under Lock and Key are interchangeable. The reason number two ended up Tooth and Nail for me is because, like I said, it was my first docking record. And also, I'll go back to the fact that there's only one really sort of slow point on that record, and it's Alone Again, whereas Under Lock and Key has a lot of peaks and valleys. And I'm not a peaks and valley guy. If I listen to a rock band, I want the rock band to rock. I don't need a bunch of power ballads. I don't need records with two, three power ballads on a record. That's not my thing. Uh, so that's just my personal preference. You know, uh, people go, well, you, it's nice to be able to take a break in, in a in, once in a while uh, from rocking. And yes, that is true. But if I want that break, then I'll just flip the dial to the Eagles and go back to my rocking. So that's just me. That's my personal preference, but that's how it lays out for me. Back for the attacks, my number one record, Tooth and Nail, number two, Under Lock and Key, number three, and uh, Breaking the Chains, number four. Yep. Okay. So yeah. So breaking the chains, number four, uh, for me, they were, they were still finding themselves. There's some, there's some good songs on there, but, uh, does not hold up to the rest of these. So I'm going at number three, I'm going back for the attack. And the main reasons for that is I, I don't think I have quite as much history, even with that album as a whole. And like I mentioned too many songs, I think there's I think there's some filler on there that could have been trimmed off and just tightened and tightened it up a little bit. It, it has grown on me a little bit more over the years as I've listened to it. And so, I mean, there are some unbelievable songs on there, but, but as a, as a whole, I'm putting it at number three. And then, so number two, I am, I'm going to go with tooth and nail uh, at number two, just my comments of, you know, where they, you know, go in the, the, hard and heavy route or where they going, you know, a little bit more melodic on, on some of those songs. So like I, I mentioned, it was a little disjointed. Uh, Steven understood kind of what I was saying, probably wouldn't use the word disjointed to describe it, but that's, that's why I've got that slotted at two. And then under lock and key, just, I mean, that was my really introduction to Dokken and 
you know, going back and, and even listening to that album uh, instead of the, you know, not only the hits, but some of the, the deep cuts are, are solid as well. And I think the production is really, really good on there. So again, under lock and key, number one, tooth and nail two back for the attack three and breaking the chains four. you know, what would be fun, Brad is real quick. I'm going to rank Mr. Poonies docking albums from one. And I guarantee you he'll tell you I'm right. That's how <laughs> sure I am. That's how positive I am. This is no your this is no your co-host. So here it is. This is easy. It really is. So at number four, he will have breaking the chains. No doubt in my mind. At number three, he will have uh, tooth and nail. Uh, at number two, he will have under lock and key. And at number one, it will have back for the attack. That will be his one, two, three, and four uh, docking records ranked. Guaranteed. Yep. Yep. I have no doubt. And if he tells you differently, <laughs> then he's just doing it to piss me off. But I guarantee you that that's, a, that's his, his four. So adding on to what Stephen just uh, went through with uh, ranking his, his co-hosts uh, top four from the 80s. So, you know, he was on uh, Shout Out Loudcast's album review crew, and they did back for the attack. I don't know if you knew that or not. I don't remember when that was a year ago or I do, but if you go back to if you go back to Grown Up Rock earlier episodes, we did a Desert Island record. And oh. that was one of the cover one of the records that we covered. So yeah, it's a, it's back and forth. It's it's incestual with those yeah. guys. It's all good. <laughs> but he made an interesting comment on that episode. And I, I remember sending him an email and they read it on the next episode. But he said I challenge anybody to find or put together songs post back for the attack, docking stuff or lynch mob type stuff that you wouldn't be able to put songs together that would be better than back for the attack, <laughs> which was an interesting, it was interesting. So of course I, I sent him an email and I said, challenge accepted. And I put together a 13 song <laughs> album I mean, of docking stuff and lynch mob stuff that might rival it. Yeah, anyway. if you're going to open up the catalog to Lynch Mob and Dokken, then yeah, I could probably put a 13-song record together that's uh, better than Back for the Attack. I and mean, it's only just... post, yeah, it's post Back for the Attack, Dokken. So. Yeah, that's that's fine. That's, yeah. it's not, that's not a problem because yeah. if you're including Lynch Mob stuff, <laughs> uh, then it's not a problem for me. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's that's a little bit crazy. But it was, <laughs> as we all know, with my co-host, he likes to throw stuff out there that's ridiculous. So yeah, yeah, I just about drove off the road. I think I was listening to it in the car when you said that, and I said, oh, I'll I'll send them an email and see what they think. So, <laughs> yeah. so moving on to the Slam Fest tip of the week. So pre-game in Stephen. So my brother and I made it over to the the lot. This was just in a park, and so we, you know parked on the they had an area on the grass where you could park and we popped the tailgate beautiful day had some had some sub sandwiches and broke out the the ipods and the phones and listened to tunes i for a change i always do a theme and my theme was 80s hard rock bands but what i decided to do is i played hits or i tried to play because <laughs> normally we're playing deep cuts all the time right and sometimes it's fun to go back to playing hits and and then i also you know i took like judas priest and dio which are not normally songs we'd listen to for a 
a, a, a quote-unquote hairband show, but they had their melodic kind of hairband eras. So Matt's song selections, Hello America, Def Leppard, My Moonshine Kicks Your Cocaine's Ass, Jackal, Kicking and Screaming, Sebastian Bach, Aces, Vane, Rock is in My Blood, Sammy Hagar, Hammer Swings Down, Babylon AD, Superstitious, Europe, Shoot for Thrills, LA Guns, Magic Touch, Aerosmith, I'm on the Run, Crocus, Number One Bad Boy, Poison, New Thing, Enough's Enough, I Can't Hardly Wait, Nelson, Runaway, Damn Yankees, Live It Up, REO Speedwagon, I Want You to Rock Me, Vixen, That's the Stuff, Autograph, Never Know Why, Ozzy Osbourne, All She Wrote, Live, Firehouse, Bastard, Motley Crue, The Right to Rock, Keel, Late for the Party, Steelheart, uh, All Night, Kiss, Can't Stand the Heartache, Skid Row, and finished with Back on the Streets, Saxon. My song selections, Teasin' and Pleasin', Dangerous Toys, Don't Stop Runnin', YMT, Stick It, Great White, Don't Tell Me You Love Me, Night Ranger, Slide It In, White Snake, Stay Hungry, Twisted Sister, Give Me Your Love, Macaulay Shanker Group, The Wild and the Young, Quiet Riot, Heavy Metal Love, Helix, Midnight Dynamite, Kicks, Somebody Save Me, Cinderella, Girl School, Brittany Fox, Parental Guidance, Judas Priest, Tell Me, Fastway, Hungry for Heaven, Dio, Wanted Man, Rat, Madeleine, Winger, Unchained, Van Halen, Hold On to 18, Black and Blue, Big Talk, Warrant, Flick of the Switch, ACDC, Big City Nights, Live, Scorpions, Love Removal Machine, The Cult, and closed out with Hang Tough from Tesla. I think knowing what your theme was, what I would tell you is rather than use the word hits, let's say you used the videos or there some you go. of the videos because yes. all these songs have videos or at least most of them have yes. videos but some of these songs like uh aren't necessarily what i would consider the band's biggest hit true yes absolutely and that's yeah and that's kind of what i was going for just more well-known yeah. songs versus uh versus the other and again it never fails it's it's so funny he's the big acdc fan i'm the big kiss fan but at these things he'll play a kiss song and then i'll play, <laughs> i'll play an acdc song which is just funny and we try not to repeat artists you know so it makes you makes you think a little bit do you guys share your list up front before you make them or what how do you ensure that you're not going to have duplicate bands on there or it's on, it's songs? it's on the spot steven we are oh, okay. these are not playlists um you know we We've got our, you know, we've got our iPods organized in such a way where we can, you know, get okay. into certain eras. And so it's, that's what makes it fun too, because you don't want any dead, dead air between songs. So you got to be, <laughs> you got to be ready to roll uh, when that other song ends. It's, it's fun, of course. And this can get really fun if you get like seven people, uh, you know, and it's a, it's a round, round robin type thing. So 
good times, beautiful day. And it was, it was a blast. So Steven, I'm going to post this on the, on the Facebook as well, our, our yeah. song selections. So which one would you, which one do you like better? I think both playlists have a lot of great stuff on it. Uh, but for me personally, in my musical taste, uh, I think your playlist is actually going to line up more with my, my taste. Yes. Uh, although your brother has some really great stuff on it and some, some deeper stuff, which I really appreciate. Yeah. Uh, but, but your list is, is a little bit more. Now you got some stinkers on there too. I mean, do we really, do we really need to put stay hungry on there? I mean, it's okay song, but I don't know if we need to put that on there. Uh, let me see what else is on your list that I'm like, meh, girl school. It's okay. by Britney's. Fox. I'd rather hear Long Way to Heaven. Well, yeah. That's it, right? Long Way to Heaven? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, long uh, way. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, tell Me by Fastway. Which Fastway record is that on? That's on the second one, All Fired Up. All Fired Up. See, yeah. I don't, I just really, that first Fastway record is the quintessential Fastway record for me. I actually got to see them live, uh, which is cool. They opened up for, uh, was it Judas Priest? Jesus Priest or Rush, one of those two. Okay, uh, yeah. In, in the early days, on that first record, on that wow. first tour. Yeah, um, yeah. Hungry for Heaven, yeah, I would have chose a totally different uh, <laughs> DA song, personally. Uh, but the rest of the stuff, man, some good, good, respectable stuff there. So, yeah, it's all, yeah. It's all good, man. It's, it's fun. Good. It's fun. And, yeah, yeah, we don't talk about our themes. And, again, I, I, I have a theme more than yeah. he does. He just kind of... Yeah. He's all over the board, which is fine, and that's kind of the point too. We want to we want to touch as many bands as possible <laughs> when yeah. we do this stuff. So awesome, yeah, I love it. We, my wife and I, we like to do the same thing. Uh, we go to uh, one of the outdoor sheds and uh, tailgate in the parking lot, and that's the only time we really tailgate is is at the shed shows. But yeah, we'll go there. We'll open up the trunk. We'll pull out the chairs and. Uh, the cooler and I do all the music <laughs> programming because yep. my wife doesn't care about that stuff. So yeah, I program whatever I want to program. Nice, nice, nice. So now to close this episode out with a which side are you on? So we talked a lot about docking. George Lynch was here on this show as well. So let's, let's give him some love. So let's do Lynch mobs sophomore album, which was self-titled released April 28th, 1992 produced by Keith Olson reached number 56 on the charts and there are no certifications for it. So second album lineup. So Robert Mason on vocals, Anthony Esposito on bass and Mick Brown on drums. And I also noticed that, Glenn Hughes was credited with some backing vocals on this album, which I'm not sure I ever, I don't know if I knew that or not. And I just happened to see it uh, on the Wikipedia page. So very, very cool. So side one, what are your highlights? Uh, well, my highlights are Jungle Love and Tangled in the Web. I, I love those two tunes quite a bit. And, you know, for me, uh, both of them are a little bit different than what you got on Wicked Sensation. So I remember when I first got this record, I was like, because I loved Wicked Sensation so much, I was definitely disappointed in this record. 
now having spent time with it and going back to it from time to time here, uh, I mean, I enjoy this record much more today than I did when it first came out. Uh, there's some good songs, especially when a song like Tangled in the Web or even Jungle of Love come up on like XM or something like that. I'm like, it takes me a minute to go, what is this? Oh, shoot. Yeah, that's from the second Lynch Mob record. I really like this song. That kind of thing. Um, I think Tie Your Mother Down. Okay, another band doing Tie Your Mother Down for the 18,000th time. Uh, so it's just, you know, I love Queen. It's a great song, and it's a good song that lends itself to heavy bands doing a heavy version of it, right? So I like that as well. Uh, for me, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily know that there's any super low points on this record. Uh, I think the, correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a little while since I've listened to this record, but the only real sort of slower ballady tune on this record is Dream Until Tomorrow, right? The rest right. of it's all heavy. Yes. Yep. Um, so, you know, that's a little bit of a low point. So, yeah, this, uh, I mean, it's a different, it's a different record than the first one. I mean, obviously you've got a different singer uh, who, who contributed to the songwriting on here. So it, it is going to be a little bit, uh, little bit different there's horns <laughs> uh you know on it which i'm not a I, i'm not against having horns i think they i think they work pretty well uh jungle of love is cool tangled in the web i absolutely love that song um again you got all kinds of horns in there but uh very very cool underlying riff during that chorus that clean guitar awesome no good is an acdc song which there's nothing wrong <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that some bluesy guitar in there cool cool acdc sounding backing vocals and uh cool song dream until tomorrow i i like the song i don't know why there's a two minute instrumental outro <laughs> to it goes on a little bit too long but i think it's a i think it's a cool song kind of underlying acoustic uh during the chorus kind of reminds me of the cult a little bit they like to they like to do that uh the kind of underlying acoustic stuff in there cold is the heart maybe is the low point on, on side one cool groove chorus is just meh to me the cover again i'm not a not a huge fan of covers especially on a 10 song album you know i'd rather have a have all originals but i think they do a pretty damn good job uh, on the song like you're saying it's been covered before and but i think they do a good job i think side two's got some really cool riffs on it and I Want It is a great riff, and it's got kind of a, a lead guitar fill kind of at the end of, of the main riff, which is which is really, really cool. And then The Secret, the song that ends the album, just a awesome, awesome riff, crunchy. And the pre-chorus sounds like, he sounds like Ozzy. And isn't Robert Mason the guy that sang side stage for Ozzy? <laughs> I yes, kind of, I, yeah, I started to think about that. I'm like, holy shit, he he does. He sounds he sounds like him on this song. Again, kind of a weird uh, ending to that song, The Secret, uh, like a minute long of of clean guitar and some keys in there as well. But that just there's a couple riffs on that second side that you know of some lesser known songs that really really pop to me. But overall, I love Robert Mason. 
I love everything that he's done. I love the stuff he's done with Warrant. Uh, I love the stuff with Big Cock. <laughs> that that super group. That uh, mother load record is group. good. It is really good. And dig dig those guys. So I'm a I'm a big fan of of Robert Mason overall. Mm-hmm. So I'm a fan of the album. But what do you think, Steven? Side one or side two? Man, here's my issue. So side one has the ballad on it, uh, which I'm it's okay song. Um, I like Cold as the Heart better than you do. Uh, tie, side two has Tie Your Mother Down, which I just think is sort of a throwaway because it's a cover. Um, but the rest of the record finishes pretty strong. Seven, eight, nine, and ten are pretty strong finishes. But to me, nothing on this record is as good as Jungle Love and Tangled in the Web. So I got to go side one. I could see where others are going to pick side two. You may be one of them, but. Jungle of Love and Tangle Web are the two best songs on this record. So that's my thought process on it. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I, I mentioned Jungle of Love and Tangled in the Web being great, no good being good. I like the I like the ballad um pretty well and, and not the last song on side one. I, I like everything on side two. The the cover kind of brings it down a little bit because I I'd prefer to get, get an original. But I am going to go with side two. Just those mm-hmm. uh, deeper, deeper cut songs, just as a as a whole, I think uh, uh, make that side a little bit better for me. So I'm going with side two over side one, and Stephen went with side one over side two. That's respectable. Awesome. It's all yeah. good. Well, Stephen, finally, 110 episodes, but you're you've you're finally been on. So. I'm I mean, you've you had everybody else on, so there was nobody <laughs> left to have on. So from that respect, I, I appreciate it. I mean, by all means, have Sonny Booney on first before <laughs> me. No problem. <laughs> no, it's all good. So thanks again, Stephen, for coming on. So talk about Growing Up Rock. Uh, Growing Up Rock podcast, available wherever you find your favorite podcast, except for Spotify. We're not on Spotify. We stay away from them. They stay away from us. But <laughs> we like to play music every once in a while on our podcast. So, you know, seek us out. But uh, it's just, it's all around growing up, in, mostly your high school years of where you're growing up around hard rock and metal for me and my co host. He graduated in 86. I graduated in 84. And those, those three or four years make a huge difference in our musical taste. And so, uh, you know, we, we have themed episodes and then once in a while we'll throw in an interview episode where, uh, myself or both of us will interview somebody, uh, from one of those bands usually, or new bands that we like a lot. There's a lot of new interviews where, uh, we're discovering new bands. So we always have, you know, the crank it up new music spotlight where we'll play something new and turn you on to newer bands that sound like the older bands that we love so much. So that's kind of it. Uh, that's what the podcast is is based around. That's what we do, the Grown Up Rock podcast. A new episode drops every Sunday, and we are coming up on our fifth year. So we're nearing 300 episodes in the books for you to go listen to and enjoy. Yeah, love love, love your podcast. You've, you've turned me on to... to uh new stuff obviously that has just come out but you've also turned me on to stuff that's new to me 
<laughs> that came out 30 years ago, which is awesome. Yeah. And it's that's that's yeah. the great thing about some of these podcasts is that you get introduced to even older stuff that you missed, you know? Right. Yeah, there was so much stuff in the 80s and even early 90s that just got missed uh, from the hair band era, from the hard rock and metal era. And uh, some of it we're still we're discovering ourselves. I mean, we discover <laughs> stuff that we go back and go, when did this come out? 82. How did I miss <laughs> this band? I love it. So, right, yeah, right. we find stuff all the time. And, and that's what's great about music discovery is you like what you like and uh, just you know, share it as much as you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thanks again for coming on, Stephen. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brad, for having me. Has anyone seen any of these Doc and George Lynch reunion shows over the last several years? If so, when and where, and what were your thoughts, memories, or stories from that show? What are your thoughts on Dawkins' 1980s studio releases? Break in the Chains, Tooth and Nail, Under Lock and Key, and back for the attack. How would you rank these four albums? And last but not least, what are your thoughts on Lynch Mob's self-titled sophomore studio album from 1992, Side 1 or Side 2? Let us know your thoughts by emailing us at slamfestpodcast at gmail.com or request to join our private Facebook page at Slamfest Podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Thanks.